That's like no eighteen year old cherry coming yeah, out. Yeah, it was trying to once party. A, once a year. There's always an eighteen year old cherry that comes out once a year, and it will until the day I die. I'm like Auntie Mame. Live. You're like live, live, live. I'm not like a regular mom. I'm a cool mom. say that I have shed innocent blood. What's blood for, if not for shedding? I, I just can't take no pleasure in killing that. You know, some things you gotta do don't mean you have to like it. There's nothing to worry about. You're gonna be just fine. I'm your number one fan. Welcome to another edition of Horrifying My Friends. Tonight I'm joined by producer Kate. Hello. And special guest Sherry Hagen Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. So Sherry is my mother-in-law and producer Kate's true mother. Oh, okay. <laughs> and um, she's always been like a mother to me and she's always kind of been in the Travis corner. And we uh, found out right away that we had a lot in common like as far as... Uh, film and books and like all this other stuff but um i want you to kind of introduce yourself and maybe talk about like you said you had some films written down from the 70s and 80s and like just <laughs> talk about growing up kind of like in the drive-in era the era of the fame drive-in <laughs> and keep it clean mom because i don't <laughs> yeah. want to hear no nasty stories make out stories the... well then i can't really talk about the drive-in <laughs> so i don't know what you want to put for me on that one no i remember going to the drive-in with my dad and my brothers mom too uh, i remember putting them in the trunk and of course there was always the boy movies it was never really anything i wanted to go see it was mm-hmm. stuff they wanted to go see so um you know tommy was a big one i remember going to see at the movies <laughs> was it a lot of westerns and stuff or was it like more like monster sci-fi movies monster sci-fi you know just the usual for instance like Jaws wasn't the drive-in. It was such Ooh. a big movie that we went to Glendale Mall. was the only place it was showing. <laughs> I remember going with, and Mom was with me, and that head popped out of that boat, and all of a sudden I'm covered in popcorn and Coke. It scared her so bad that she just threw it all up, and it landed on me. <laughs> and I remember going out, and there were news crews in the parking lot, you know, interviewing people like oh, yeah. that's how big of a deal it was and mom got interviewed so it was pretty cool that movie still fucking works too like it i remember does. rose and i saw it in theaters like two years ago and we were sitting right next to like a group of kids <laughs> and it was that scene when they're underwater and you see that that guy's head kind of float by <laughs> and the kids like <laughs> jumped out of the seat it was so fucking awesome exactly so i i remember the drive-in more as a, a teenager and that kind of thing you know and it was more roaming around doing your thing networking i guess you could call it mm-hmm. <laughs> naked yeah. yeah something like that <laughs> meeting at the playground on the slide you know <laughs> no but most of my horror movies were when i was or, or the most memorable were from when i was a kid watching sammy terry on a friday night oh yeah i'd, call my, I'd call my brother dave davy can you come home and watch sammy <laughs> terry with me he'd go no sissy you gotta watch it yourself and I remember watching The Blob and The Thing and 
um, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Oh, yeah. You, you have know to what? tell the story about what Uncle Dave did to, to you to torment you. <laughs> and the Haunting of Haunting of Hill House was, to me, one of the scariest movies when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it was about it, but there was something about her laying in the bed and the thump, thump, thumping on the walls. And she feels a hand holding her hand and it's nothing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the thump, thumping, and then it would be <laughs> and, then, and that was a good whisper <laughs> and, Eleanor. and my brother thought it was so funny because he would go outside the walls he'd either go outside or he'd be on the outside in the hallway and he'd do a light thumping and all of a sudden in my, at my crack in the door i'd hear Eleanor. <laughs> just, I mean, so cruel <laughs> there was one movie that he was outside my window mm-hmm. and my bed faced the window um, and he was making clickety clack noises. It was a movie where there was clickety clack on the windows. I don't remember which one it was. Uh, I think it, I probably know what <laughs> yes, it was. I know which one you're fearful of. <laughs> yeah, the listeners know all about what you did to me. All about yeah. Salem's life. Well, if, you haven't, if you haven't heard that story, it's in the What We Do in the Shadows yeah, Vampire, the vampire movie episode. episode. Um, but need... anyway, my mom let me watch that when I was way too young and she claims I'm old. I was older than I was. I think you were eight. And it scarred me for life. I was not eight. I, I think, think I was younger than that. But anyway, <laughs> I couldn't sleep near a window you have a the rest of ap- my life. But you have a great appreciation of horror movies. So thank your mother. I will say most of like the movies that I know and love from my childhood were introduced to me by mom. Like she has really good taste in movies, but yeah, also a lot of the movies that scared me to death also introduced by mom. Sure. So, I mean, you can question her parenting. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like there was one movie. I don't know if it's a blob or if it's something, something that's similar to boogers. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause I remember my brother getting a straw and sticking it up his nose and blowing snot out of the, the straw, mm-hmm. which gets a good arc and a lot of, uh, momentum and he used to he used to st- he used to stand outside my door and say i'm sealing up your door sissy i'm sealing it up with boogers <laughs> i would hear him snorting through the straw outside my door that's what i grew up with oh yeah for sure so in sammy terry you can't i mean sammy terry is spider george so campy so stupid right now but as a kid it was creepy it was friday night creepy man every friday night i had my tab, which was a treat because we were, didn't have a lot of money. And mom would always make this like crescent roll cheese thing was our treat or popcorn. And I'd sit down and watch my scary movies at night. And, and a lot of kids nowadays kind of don't like, well, even myself, like I, I, I had never watched like Sammy Terry or anything like that or, or the idea of a horror host. But it really was like a huge thing back in the 70s, like. Yeah, like 70s, right? Like the mm-hmm. 70s, uh, you had Sammy Terry and Sfinguli and Elvira and like uh, yeah, all these. Elvira like, came around Literally every region had a horror host that would just host like movies on the weekends, which is like so awesome. <laughs> it, it is because, you know, I mean, it, it was a way to keep the younger kids at home and not everybody could afford to go see the movies. Mm-hmm. So you did get to see a lot on TV, but some of the really old ones Mm -hmm. those are the ones that i remember watching the most on sammy terry so the movie i chose for sherry like i said we've always kind of been in uh had similar stuff in common and that's the western and the horror film so the movie that i chose was 2015's bone tomahawk so directed by s craig zoller starring kurt russell as sheriff hunt 
who who is had who is like aged better than Kurt Russell. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> uh, Patrick Wilson as Arthur, uh, Matthew Fox as Brooder, Richard Jenkins as Chicory, who is the heart of this movie. I fucking love Chicory. <laughs> uh, Lily Simmons as Samantha. David Arquette as Purvis and the legendary Sid Haig as Buddy. Rest in peace. So before we kind of get into our initial reactions, I'll do a synopsis and then kind of some like just fast facts slash like um, stuff about this movie, like uh, why I chose it and stuff. So the synopsis is, in the dying days of the Old West, an elderly sheriff and his posse set out to rescue their town's doctor from cannibalism, <laughs> cannibalistic cave dwellers. <laughs> so that, yeah. Pretty basic. <laughs> inbred. So, supposedly inbred. Yeah, for sure. Um, to start with this movie, you gonna kind of got to start with the weird western. So weird westerns are, like you brought up earlier, the wind is an example of a weird western. Dead birds, burrowers. Ravenous from 1999 where they encounter cannibals I thought was uh, apt to mention Ghost Town from the 80s even you can even throw like John Carpenter's Vampires Rob Zombie's Devil's Rejects arguably or even like maybe the cult classic Tremors also has western Mm -hmm. like elements in it Um, that those could be classified as weird westerns Dark Tower is another good one oh for sure Dark Tower by Stephen King um so the weird westerns. I, one of the things I love about this podcast is kind of introducing Katie, subjecting Katie, one might say, <laughs> to all these like different subgenres of horror. Like there, there are different subgenres literally for anyone in horror, and this just happens to fit right in one of them. Uh, this movie was shot in 21 days for 1.8 million, which is that's like, it. Yeah, it's very very low budget. Uh, Wait, this, these actors did it for that cheap? They did it because they loved the script so much, is what S. Craig Craig. Well, they did saw. act the shit out of it, so we'll get I into that. that. <laughs> they did a great job. So yeah, that's pretty much like. Um, there's not a ton of notes on this. The big thing, like I said, it was about weird westerns, and that's like a big genre right now. And I think that this movie and like Tarantino's Hateful Eight and stuff like that is kind of um, kind of like leading this resurgence of the Western. Like I think Westerns are becoming way more popular than they were, you know, maybe like uh, a couple years ago. It was seen as like a dying genre. So after we get initial reactions, like talk about the plot, themes, you know, uh, our final rating on the film, Sherry and I will discuss our top five Westerns of all time. So, Sherry, what is your initial reaction to this movie? My first reaction was, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and and then I, I paused it and I, I started it over with what, what not having any expectation of what I was going to see. And I ended up really liking the stupid show. I liked the movie. Um, I, I appreciated the writing. Mm-hmm. The... Um, period language was on point in a lot of the statements it was like that's how they would have talked back then Mm -hmm. so i had to appreciate that and i didn't expect that and like you said a a lower budget movie something shot that quickly Mm -hmm. i I didn't expect to to see that you actually like rewound it to get just like okay i'm gonna go backwards and listen to that again because that was really cool Mm -hmm. um of course i love kurt russell so anything anything kurt russell is in I love David Arquette. He loves doing these kind of movies. Um, him, he was in Ravenous. 
um, which, you know, (laughs) was years ago. But I liked everybody in this movie. Every actor fit the character perfectly, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. I didn't expect either. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, The cinematography didn't telegraph what was coming. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of movies, you, you the you know, as you're you're going through, you see, you know, they're gonna set you up for an arrow is gonna kill you. Mm-hmm. The, this one, you just turn a corner and boom, all of a sudden they're they're shot with arrows and they're down. It's like nothing. The, the the music didn't telegraph it. Mm-hmm. That was there, one of the things I, like I didn't okay. actually hear music through most of this movie. Yeah, I don't think there not much. There is almost yeah. none. Not like, much, which t- would explain the low budget. To open on that first scene of David Arquette and Sid Haig, the legendary Sid Haig, like killing that family or that group just taking a rest, like slitting their throats and stuff. Like that opening scene of them running into the cannibals was like so fucking <laughs> scary, dude, <laughs> to me. <laughs> I, I guess one of the things like um, I forgot to mention on like the notes for the movie, I really appreciated like this movie, how it went out of its way. To show that the troglodytes, or however, am I saying it correctly? Troglodytes, yeah. Yeah, like cave dwellers. Like um, uh, one of my favorite parts was when they interviewed the professor, or they uh, had the professor come in, and he's like, uh, "So when are we going?" He's like, "I'm not going because I'm not going to be dead or whatever." (laughs) Indian guy. Yeah, the professor is uh, like a Native American Indian guy. Great gray wolf. I mean, he's in. Yeah, all, for, he's the sure. he's the token, basically the token Native American that's in all the movies. For sure, right? And um, Trav, I I think what you were kind of getting at is they, mm-hmm. I could tell they the creators of this movie really did not want you to think that they weren't aware of the sort of very common stereotype of Native Americans as savages. They're right. like, look, here's an here's an here's a Native American man who's you know, clearly not a savage, explaining why these these people are savages. Yeah, and they're li- not literally Native savages. Americans. Yes. <laughs> they're not Native Americans. One line so. he said that stuck with me was like he was like, um he was like, You're afraid of an old, your own tribe or something. He's like, You're they're not my tribe, but you know, people like you might associate them with me or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, yeah, I just kind of had to like throw that in there because I really appreciated the way that that was done. And it's kind of a flip, like Katie said, of like the old Westerns where it's like, oh, the Indians and the Mexicans are the savages. Yeah, the white guys with the guns are the good <laughs> yeah. and the brown guys are the baddies. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to say I did like the fact that they're, that they're it was it was a smart, it was a smart movie. Yeah, that was one sure. of the things that they even said before they left was, it's it's intelligence over physical strength. Mm-hmm. That's how we're gonna win, mm-hmm. not by being physically strong, mm-hmm. by being smart. Mm-hmm. And I like that, and I think they carried that through the the whole movie, even till the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you expect the cripple to die. Mm-hmm. Why didn't he? Why <laughs> yeah. didn't he? Because he was smart. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and he had people looking out for him, um, which yeah, I think. But they all move forward, and he's he stays back, and you didn't expect him to. Right, I yeah. agree with you, but I that was cool. I'm gonna tell you my no, first impressions, so we can really get into it. I don't know how mom. I don't know how you turn this on, and we're like, this is stupid, because I was intrigued from like right off the bat. I ha- because I was expecting something different. That's right. I don't really watch westerns like you. That's so, probably why. I I, I, watched- I was expecting 
I was like, is this is Gore. this more is this more mm-hmm. western? Is with this cowboy hats. is this more? Yeah, is gore it... with cowboy hats. Katie never knows what to expect when no, I'm like, Katie, doesn't. watch this. Yeah, and it's exactly. Like a blank tape. Like if people like... don't believe me, I truly do no research about these movies ahead of time. Um, so I sat down. All I knew was a west was a was that it was a western. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I would say. My first impression of this is like, I was so impressed. And now knowing how cheaply they made it, I'm even more impressed. I, I really, really dug this movie. I watched it with Brian and he, his reactions were like so fun to watch. Like I I was react, I had pretty like visceral reactions to a lot of these scenes, which I'm sure we'll talk about shortly. Oh yeah. But like he was, ooh, like cringing, (laughs) like squirming on the couch, you know? At some of these like really graphic kill scenes, but more important than that, like I really appreciated the acting in this movie. Like we see a lot of movies on this podcast that where the acting is kind of so so, but this movie, I feel like the building of the characters and just and we can kind of get into that. Yeah, Let's go into the characters. Yeah, their inter- sure. their interaction with each other, the way it's written. I, I don't know. I was just super, super impressed with it. And I'm surprised I had never heard of it until now. For sure. Like, the characters... Was this the, not released widely? Uh, It was released in I've a few I've never seen theaters, a trailer but or anything. I, it went, like, straight to Amazon. Like, mm. uh, Amazon Prime, like, streaming and stuff. I had seen it, but... Mm-hmm. Like, advertised. Yeah. Like, one of the things that I wrote down was the play between Kurt Russell's character and Chicory was like so heartwarming dude like we were watching with katie kerr and rose and katie kerr and rose were like right in the middle of this western movie like chicory is like the heart of this movie and they were like using all these like glow up words and shit i don't know what all they were saying (laughs) but chicory is like such a sweet old man man and so many of their exchanges like when he tries to grab david arquette in a bar like right after they uh kill those guys and then sid hay gets killed by the indian the backup deputy chicory tries to grab david arquette to like search him and he gets just gets pushed over and uh, like it's so sweet because kurt russell's just like you did good you did good old man like tonight or whatever like you know you yeah, did good yeah job, and you deputy. really you expect him to be the first one gone mm-hmm. um and it's really nice to see him make it to the end well those were that's almost a throwback to some of the old john wayne movies mm-hmm. this is john wayne is the sheriff and then there's the old deputy who really can't mm-hmm. do anything but make coffee and beans <laughs> and and he's the sidekick. He's humor. a little dopey. Yeah, yeah, I kind of got a Andy Griffith um, absolutely vibe. And he's like from their relationship. Absolutely. And he's kind of just like keeping everybody going, keeping everybody like positive. Like he's saying like little weird jokes and stuff at times. Yeah, <laughs> this, I mean, this movie you... had a lot of humor in it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. I was gonna say you, you think about how grim their situation is. Like they're probably fully expecting the people they're going to rescue. To probably be dead or something mm-hmm. horrible they're, they're they're on this three plus day trek out like where it's so difficult to even survive that let alone get there and and like be a rescue on a rescue mission mm-hmm. but um and they're facing all these things bandits in the night and i like that all they kinds kept of that going. it was one thing after another chicory's character is really the only person in their gang or their crew that kept spirits up i don't i don't Mm -hmm. know oh for sure sherry what were your who were some of your favorite characters what character did you kind of identify with if any (laughs) 
a cripple. Yeah, that's Arthur. <laughs> Arthur, I was I was rooting for Arthur. You know, when they're, I wasn't sure if they were going to take his leg off mm-hmm. or if they were just going to, you know, like cauterize the wound or what they were going to do with that. But no, I, I liked I, I, I liked all the characters. I didn't say, I wouldn't say I identify with any of them, but mm-hmm. of course the Kurt Russell with Chicory, it's one of those things where that did bring back good memories of all the old John Wayne movies. Cause oh, they, yeah. all, they all have that type of, uh, you know, back and forth with a, with the sidekick type person. It's mm-hmm. always upbeat and in a good mood and sort of keeps everybody's spirits up. But, you know, David Arquette's just crazy. A crazy genius in these movies mm-hmm. because he he acts crazy, but you know he's really not. I don't know. I liked every I liked every bit of it. I thought it was it it was more of a I think more of a action rescue than a mm-hmm. horror western for me. Mm-hmm. So Are you I, kidding me? Yeah, I mean the violence was really minimal, but it was savage. For sure. Yeah. So for me, it was it was not just the characters; it was all the little scenes that they were in that just progressed as they went along. So you know know. what you know who Chickory reminded me of, and not in like the it's not like he the actual person that I'm gonna say is like Chickory, like as far as like kind of like aloof and stuff. He's not like that. But the story that you told about New York and your dad going to get you and your dad calling your grandpa and your uh-huh. grandpa's just like, all right, let's go. Like yeah, that kind of, exactly. That kind of yeah, like, I got stranded in New York for people who don't know this story. I'll keep it short. I got stranded in New York for various, <laughs> you know, reasons, snow essentially. And I was with a, an advisor from school. I was in high school at the time and, um, all the planes were downed and he was totally clueless. He was going to put me in a van with a stranger. <laughs> like <laughs> I immediately called my dad and I was like, dad, I'm stranded. I don't know what to do. He's going to put me in a van. I'm going to die. <laughs> and, um, dad just, I just remember he, he launched at... on this rescue mission, just not unlike this movie. Bone tomahawk, yeah. <laughs> and he called up my grandpa, my mom's dad. And he was like, Don, we pack a bag we gotta go get kate in new york and he was like all right no your grandpa asked. was literally probably putting his shoes on as he, he was, was on the he phone was. like <laughs> he was as kate's telling pj i'm hearing it I'm, I'm i'm to the side hearing it it's on speakerphone and i looked at him and said go get our baby you know because mm-hmm. i heard they're gonna put me in a van with a stranger i'm like oh, oh hell no, no. <laughs> so he he did i was sitting there he said don are you up for a road trip new york <laughs> In the snow. Uh, in, yeah. the, in a blizzard. Yeah. They, okay, I'll be there in 15 minutes. And literally, he was gone. And Yep, they drove all the way there and all the way back. Yeah. My, my dad was, has stories of the road, mm-hmm. the blizzard road. Everybody <laughs> needs how, a how your dad drove. Your yeah. Life. Oh, yeah. For uh, sure. w- one of the other interesting characters is, uh, and we haven't really brought him up, was Matthew Fox's brooder. The, uh, the, John, John Bruder, yeah. Yeah, the all-in-white, gunsling, sharpshooting, asshole. Like, <laughs> but you need that in this group. Like, Rose and Katie Kerr were like, ooh. <laughs> like, oh, fanning <yeah>. themselves. <laughs> see, I was, I thought Nick was the most attractive character okay. in the show. Yeah, the but deputy. you don't see a lot of him, except for the end, you know, which is terrifying. You, got, you gotta have that sarcastic asshole. Well, 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 you have to have the guy with the, you know, cutthroat. Yeah. Cutthroat, the guy with the the hair trigger, the mm-hmm. guy, um, the realist. Who, 
right and who has this checkered past who hates your enemy right um, right blindly hates him you know for no reason and he mistakes the enemies obviously he's much like mm-hmm. the the professor said he's that guy that says like i hate indians i hate <laughs> troglite and i hate anybody who doesn't look like me and if you get a little yeah for sure that's what i was kind of getting into you get a little depth into that character of like why he thinks the way he does and it's because indians killed his family but it's like one of the scenes that i loved where when these two mexican guys come up to their camp and (laughs) he's just like they're uh, kurt russell's talking to him and he's like you know uh throw your guns down and bruder's just like bam bam (laughs) And he's like, they were scouts, and we need to move and pick up camp now and move to another spot. And then you find out that he was probably right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because, yeah, because their horses get stolen. Right. Um, but yeah. Which brings me to another point of this movie that I loved. And it's not entirely present in a lot of other westerns. Is that the fact that the men, like, uh, men show emotion in this movie, like, at times. Like, one of the most heartbreaking scenes for me was when Bruder puts down his horse. And even this, like, rugged, badass, like, tough guy, like, like I said, gunslinger, bounty hunter. When he's putting down his horse, man, like, the Mexicans maim it so that it it can't move or whatever. But, you know, he's not going to ride it either or whatever. He has to put it down. And he's just like, well, you had a good ride or whatever. And it's classic cowboy in his horse. Absolutely. Yeah, and I like I like the depth they gave his character. He wasn't just this like bigot who shoots first, asks questions later. Like mm-hmm. he's, he was kind he of like an, lot... an, an anti-hero type character, right? But you see, um, you see that he really is a soldier too. Mm-hmm. Like he fought in the wars. You learn about that. Um, you see, like the soldier come out in him, like in his death scene where they approach the troglodytes cave camp, whatever. And he gets his hand chopped off or something Mm -hmm. right off the bat. He is not, he's not going to make it. He's bleeding out. And he really does have a, he has a moment with his, with the, with the guys with checkery and um, what's his name? Hunt. Mm -hmm. Um, Sheriff Hunt. Hunt. And he, just basically says, yeah, I'm not going to make it, but I'm going to, I'm going to take out as many of these guys as I can go and save, like go finish our mission. Um, which I think was a nice like level to him, to his character. One of the brooder lines that I went down that I thought was incredibly badass was, uh, Chicory was like, of course, broken up about the fact that he shot these two Mexican guys. And, uh, Chicory was like, one of them was wearing a crucifix and brooder goes, then Jesus should have helped them. <laughs> I was like, damn, that's badass, dude. <laughs> um, okay, go ahead. I wanna, I wanna talk about the troglodytes real quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, for sure. Not much about this movie confused me. Like, it seems it's a pretty straightforward plot. Mm-hmm. It's very linear, chronological. Like, it's there. You're not seeing flashbacks or anything, like nothing like that. You're just going forward. And there weren't a lot of like inconsistencies. I didn't think either. I thought it was like mm-hmm. pretty um, tightly done. But what bothered me a little bit was they described the troglodytes as these inbred, cannibalistic, um, so almost inhuman humans, right? Mm-hmm. Which is you you find out that they are, but the inbred part, which is kind of essential, like to make sense of their isolation and the fact that they still exist, they had to have inbred, right? 
mm-hmm. to continue to exist over this min- these many many years and to evolve to have these voice boxes that, that screech funny and when you when you look up the physical and mental consequences of year like of uh, generations and generations of inbreeding there's no way in hell these people if you can call them people are as big and strong and like cunning as they are mm-hmm. you know one of the like some of the main things like, like that happen with like lots and lots of inbreeding like that with like very few people there's only 12 of them i think they counted like 12 and then two two women mm-hmm. that they had like well, horribly you get, defor- you get deformity but you get but yeah but none of the none of them no. none of them were deformed none of them had any um like birth defects like physically like they, there was no none of them with club feet you know what i mean mm-hmm. um and that's just the thing that happens and then there's also mental deficiencies that come with that and i was looking up other like physical like results of inbreeding and one of those is smaller pe- the people become smaller mm-hmm. their children I thought become you were smaller say, and Paul, smaller. smaller peepees I, no. like, oh. <laughs> I thought she was going there too yeah they I probably did. do have smaller peepees too, they? <laughs> um they just the people get smaller but these guys are bigger you know? Not for sure yeah um and so that just didn't make sense to me unless they're well, bringing in people from the outside to get their women pregnant which would result in them not being inbred so I which don't is know. why they might have taken the doctor or the town oh, hmm. she was a doctor right the doctor they never I mean, really have, they never but... really specified with the women mm-hmm. you know it's possible that as men they would just steal women and breed the women and that kind of thing they didn't really they sort of left that open to interpretation a little bit i think mm-hmm. yeah maybe but it was... but i don't see how if they're bringing in regular human beings to breed with how they end up with the voice boxes unless they kill any baby that doesn't have the voice box. I think that the voice box and any and any baby that's a female. See, I, I took the voice box to be a clever insertion. I didn't think it, I didn't see it as a, a birth thing. I saw it as a very clever way to communicate because as as evolution oh. goes with communication, you know, we we our speech grew where theirs mm-hmm. became. It's just like some African tribes literally click and they understand each other. That's sort of how I took that as more of a yeah a body just, modification. A body yeah. modification. Oh, just I like took it horns, as like the, something they evolved like into. The, it was the, almost like a whistle made. Sorry, it was almost like a whistle made out of bone or something. Yeah. that they put right here so they can go. And then they know. they also with the the bone tomahawk. So then they had the bones and the tusk type things. I think that was all body modification. Right, that's the way was. I saw all of that, uh, including the other. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess you could you could talk your way into it making sense but it doesn't really only because make if sense. you research some of the primitive african because they're saying they're inbred they that. wouldn't tell you they're inbred oh. if they didn't mean it that's scully in the background saying i don't hear clint eastwood's name <laughs> <laughs> okay no i this when you talk about like lines in a movie say goodbye to my wife and then he says i'll say hello to yours oh i wrote that down to too. me that that's was so beautiful it was beautiful but it was just it was so well done and it, it felt like you could that's something you'd really say i wish i was that like quick-witted to f- say something so profound but i guess if you're about to die maybe you you do maybe say, it comes you, to you you, you do <laughs> you just, profoundness comes to you it does and can i just say like you said uh, to play off that point i like i fully expected chicory to die like early just to pull the heartstrings but i enjoyed that 
it was the other way around. Yeah. Like, I really, really love that. But go ahead, Sherry. And Kate and I were talking about the violence a few minutes ago, too. The house, it's it's subtle, but there's not a lot, but it's very savage. Um, when, when they cut him open and they put Ooh. the hot flask in there. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That was just, a, it was just so well done. It wasn't this big, dramatic, overacted mm-hmm. skit, you know? It was... It didn't call for Nick Cage level acting. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> With the bees. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So there were some of those the, the, those type scenes that I, I really had to appreciate. The, the subtleness of the violence. It wasn't, it wasn't overwhelming. I, I think, like, that. yeah, that, um, the opening scene where... I forget which of the guys, Buddy or David Arquette's character, which Purvis, uh, Purvis, yeah, which one is like it starts out with them straddling this poor innocent person and David just Arquette. and slashing their throat with this really dull knife. Um, that was like pretty shocking to start off with oh, right yeah. off of the bat. Didn't expect that, um, and then I certainly didn't expect the scene that I think this probably this movie probably gets talked about in the horror community because of oh yeah and it's got to be the scene where nick the deputy who got kidnapped in the beginning they're they they need another body to eat they're hungry and they bring him out and i don't remember what the sheriff said because i was so, like i i was so just totally taken over by physically what they did which again um big spoiler about to happen i'm going to tell you what happens they scalp him and then they take his scalp and they shove it in his mouth and in, with a I don't nail know, some a, hammer tool a stake or a hammer yeah. or something yeah and then they flip him upside down and chop at him with this bone tomahawk this mm-hmm. bone knife uh well axe i don't know bone tomahawk um, is the name of the movie well mm-hmm. aren't tomahawks little <laughs> no but anyway apparently bone tomahawks. they're really good with these tomahawks too <laughs> yeah the and they make them really sharp apparently because like with within three or four whacks they've got him totally butchered like a cow like all of his insides come out it's like and he's screaming in alive the whole time they don't have the decency to kill him See, first well, and two guys are um, pulling yeah. on each side too yeah and, and he splits in half um and so part of you is like okay they're butchering him very clinically like like you would a cow but even human beings kill the cow first before they do that you know mm-hmm. and so that's where like the savagery comes in and like the lack of mm-hmm. mercy where you see all these other characters other than troglodytes have tons of like moments where you can see them being merciful in some way or another even john bruder he mm-hmm. shows his horse mercy you know um another good line uh, you mentioned like um you didn't remember what the sheriff said the sheriff goes um uh the cavalry's coming and they're gonna kill all these assholes or something like that yeah and um chicory later goes were you lying about that (laughs) like where the shower is the cavalry really riding and he's like no but Uh that's what i would have wanted to hear if that were happening to me i thought that was like an awesome part though yeah yeah that you'll be avenged for sure that scene is not for the faint of heart i will tell you i think my grandma watched this movie or started i don't know she might have turned it off she she had to turn it off i think um i'm not surprised she doesn't really like that kind of thing and suspense gets her oh my god if she saw that scene she wouldn't forgive us there are a lot of movies with violence you know and you know the suspense sometimes gets to you this this was just savage moments and i Mm appreciate i appreciated them greatly Mm -hmm. yeah so you it's you see a lot of that's i guess we're kind of talking about themes right now mercy versus um savagery 
um, humanity versus inhumanity, that kind of thing. I think communication is kind of a big part of this movie. There's so much dialogue. It really is dialogue driven. Yeah, and um, it was you well see the, trog- the one thing the troglodytes don't have that the human beings have is this ability to communicate and talk. And you would say language is like the, the stepping stone to civility, I guess, is what you learn in like philosophy and stuff. Um, but <laughs> they just screech kind of like they're more animalistic. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, what I found interesting is there's an X-Files episode called Home that this sort of reminded me of where the, the, the boys mm-hmm. are, are sort of, you know, inbred and, and deformed and they got mama in the basement under the table. <laughs> one of the most fucked up. And they find out she's actually the one that keeps breeding these people. Mm-hmm. And it's just their mom. So it, it was sort of, you know, and, and her, her comments is like, she doesn't want to leave. She's safe there. It's sort of when they went past the women that looked so happy and comfortable, even though they looked so strange. Yeah, even though their eyes like had been gouged out. Totally content to just, this is their life, you know? So it did remind me of that episode. That's a deep. That's a deep cut. I'm a, I'm a huge X Files fan, oh, so yeah. it was like I think I remember. If I'm not mistaken, that yeah. aired once on TV, and then Fox decided that it was too brutal. It was too brutal. It's a brutal fucking episode. Mm-hmm. Like we could cover that on an episode of this. <laughs> yeah, it, it that was, episode is fucked up. Yeah, some savagery mm-hmm. in there as well, just in, implied a lot mm-hmm. of it implied. Yeah, and it's like us looking at this culture like. Clearly, the people within the culture don't think of, that they're savage. Um, the women don't seem... They seem resigned to their fate to... It's all they've ever known. To just be pregnant and blind and lay there. Um, and to us, that's hor- like horrifying. But and to one them, of- it's just like, that's the way it is. They're probably happy that they're alive at all. Because it seems like if the law of averages, there would at least be... 50% females in there, but there's only two females pregnant and the rest. Yeah, I, that's what I was going to ask. Dead or I don't remember when they mentioned there's 12 more. I believe they were They're all men. men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what sort of made me think of, wait a minute. Well, and it's the it's the wife, Samantha, who points out to, to them that there's, there's probably 12 of them. And I thought that they did a really good, subtle job of basically showing that they probably raped her. Like, she starts to cry before she gets the information Her clothes were a little disheveled. Yeah, and and, um, she's clearly, like, sort of ashamed. Her body language is showing that she's she's ashamed of the reason why she knows there's 12 of them. Um, But but I I appreciated that that she had her shit together Mm -hmm. the whole time. She didn't lose it. She wasn't hysterical, crying female. She was very strong female character. That's a big theme. I'm I'm glad you said that because I thought that that's... That set this apart too from like um not your average western because i don't want to like paint that picture but like there's a lot of westerns where females are just solely like hysterical and damsel in distress and she right. was you know technically, she needed rescued but she she was a damsel in distress but so was nick and he's a dude yeah like, for sure <laughs> yeah. and she yeah. she survived in the mm-hmm. end another dark humor moment like yeah some one of you brought up the humor earlier but like when they come for her she's just like you fucking idiots like why would you come here (laughs) (laughs) well i mean they were just going to come back to the town eventually for sure so yeah they had to do something yeah 
I, I'm curious. Um, I did look up some reviews on this movie because mm-hmm. I like I we've clearly been talking for a long time about this. We still have to get to your guys' top fives, mm-hmm. uh, top five westerns. But um, I think it might be worth seeing how this was received critically because I the more I talk about it, the more I look actually love this movie. At first, I was like I dug it; it was good. But like I kind of really like it. I think I want to watch it again. Do you want to go around and give our like uh, rating? Yeah. And then do the reviews? Yeah, let's right, do it. So, Sherry, you're the guest of honor. How high is our rating? I don't know. And you will return. Well, however, however you want. I do mine out of five, but you can do whatever you want. Spoiler alert, you're going to return quite a bit. Because, like I said, you're an OG to the horror genre. Yeah. And... I, I, the, the Western horror, uh, those type of movies are so cool to me. Because they're two of my favorite things in the world. I, I liked, like I said, I liked, after I went back and I rewatched it, and and took in all those little moments the 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 writing this even the cinematography was in a way sort of cool mm-hmm. but i would have to give it a high mark i would say probably a four and a half out of five i really liked the savagery i liked the smartness of the characters it was intelligence that won out it wasn't brute strength or guns or any oh, of that yeah. So it's yeah. really smart. I like the smartness of the characters. Um, I think I would agree with that. I would give this a probably like a four, four and a half out of five. I would recommend if you have a strong stomach for some really violent scenes, or even if you just kind of close your eyes to those scenes, like this, like if you really love good acting and like good writing, and you really like to see character like characters built um, in a movie, this is for you. Um, I think they don't make men like they made in the in the Western times. <laughs> you talking about Kurt Russell and Brutal? All the, like all the men, honestly, they're just so like. And they and I don't know how they walked this line, honestly, in the movie because I'm sure men in Western times were chivalrous, but they were also like not. There was not many, if if at all, I, I, that I can remember, like sexist remarks made about women um or yeah i just there, there i feel were, like there were usually your your outlaws or your bad guys and that kind of thing but on a whole women were revered even the whores in the whorehouses were revered, yeah, and respected you know? and maybe mm-hmm. it was like a more egalitarian kind of like society back out in the west i don't know but and there were very and maybe maybe that's consistent in westerns i don't watch a lot of westerns i think i've only seen like a couple that mom hasn't introduced me to but um, I thought that that was it was nice to and refreshing to see, but yeah, I would give yeah. it a high rating. Yeah, I would give it like a four and a four to a four and a half out of five. Uh, I really, really love this movie. I really love the weird western genre, the horror western genre or subgenre. Um, one of the other characters that just came to mind, by the way, um, I cannot forget it. What? But one of the lines that I really, really loved, and I thought that you guys would like, was when they were in the bar and the piano player's asleep. And he's like, he's like two for, what does he say? Two for five cents. And then he flips the sign. Yeah. And he's like, but I get tired after three or something like that. (laughs) I really loved his character. And then he he actually, and they have to buy him a drink too. Yeah. Yeah. He he actually never plays any music because of what happened. Um, And yeah, there's no music in this, in this movie. I need to watch it again to listen for any kind of score. But I remember like total silence in the background, which almost added to the, Attention That's of what I of said. The there wasn't the music to telegraph what was going to happen. Yeah, mm-hmm. I liked it. Yeah, 
So, but yeah, a four to four and a half out of five. I love this genre. Like Sherry said, I love horror and I love Westerns. So when someone brings the two together, it's like, it's a no brainer for me. Um, I really, really dug, um, the characters in this movie. Like I said, I like, like Kurt Russell and Kurt Russell's hunt and chicory are like the bromance that everyone needs to have like you need that you need that (laughs) older guy that's just like your sidekick it almost reminded me of my friend gonzo from work where it's like i can just count on him gonzo's there gonzo will do what i need to do what i need him to do and shit but yeah man i love this movie just to touch on it one of the things that i like like i mentioned it before but one of the things that i take absolute joy in is introducing and like uh, i love about this podcast is introducing producer Kate to stuff that she then enjoys. Well, the fact that she's talking about the scalping is so gruesome, and it, she cringe tells me she doesn't watch a, a lot of them. And I don't. <laughs> who would have known that Kate would be talking about a Western on a podcast? Yeah, I who just knew? Talk about that. <laughs> I was hoping I would get two, so I'm super excited yeah. about it. Mom, we will have you on again. But before we get to top five, your guys' top fives, obviously I do mm-hmm. not have a top five because I don't, mm-hmm. don't think I've seen five Westerns um, in total. But anyway, um, just Rotten Tomatoes is the first thing I pulled up. I know it's like controversial, like whether or not you can you know trust it. But anyway, this movie got a 91% on the tomato meter, which is really high. Mm-hmm. Um, and then an audience score of 73%. I would argue that's probably as low as it is because of squeamish people who watch this. So two uh, critic reviews that I, I pulled up, we'll quickly go through them. So there's uh, Kevin Marr from the Times in the UK who had a very negative thing uh, quote to say about it. He said, it is mostly just an excuse for the debut director, S. Craig Zoller, to whip the rug out from under you Tarantino style. Hmm. And see, I, I think this I, is I better than the Hateful Eight. No, I didn't see Tarantino in this. No, I didn't. I, I, I didn't. I, I didn't because there wasn't enough blood splattering everywhere. But did you like the Hateful Eight, Sherry? I did. It, it was long. See, I liked it until you, it got to Tarantino. Because, yes. like, it, and to Tarantino, I mean, it's a sl- it's this slow burn mystery movie, and I'm like, okay, Tarantino's doing a fucking Agatha Christie play. Like, this is cool. <laughs> And then Samuel Jackson's like, and then I took my big black dick and I shoved it in his mouth. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like, the thing, the thing is, is it's like they took a mishmash of ideas of westerns and put them all in this movie and mm-hmm. made it his own. And it just, I, I wasn't imp- I was more impressed with Bone Tomahawk than I was that movie. I agree. I think the, it's a the, stronger movie. It's a stronger movie when you put it all together and, and mm-hmm. you know, you didn't need the big music score. Mm-hmm. You didn't need, True. you know, the fancy actors. The wee, 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 wee. I can't do that. I can't wah, do that. Don't, don't make fun now. They might be coming up. <laughs> spaghetti um, westerns. I was raised on them. But anyway, we'll, we'll end on a, on a positive one. Um, another guy from the UK from a different paper. Um, Tim Roby from the Daily Telegraph says, um, "You'll wa- you'll be watching. At least I was with your hand clamped over your- over a mouth in various states of aghastness. But the film's bloodiest moments in a real turn up for the books are also its saddest. Which I think is pretty mm-hmm. good way to sum up this movie. I think yeah. I not to ramble on too much about this movie, but I like that the." The West was a dangerous and 
oftentimes like terrible place and I felt like that we had good characters and we had some like like you said anti-heroes but Mm -hmm. I think they all had a place in the in the wild west well in the wild west it was a sad I mean they called Native Americans savages Mm -hmm. because that was just the the Native Americans you know it's Mm -hmm. just how they were they they fought their own tribes it's just who who they encountered Mm -hmm. different kind of warfare than what what you know the English people were used to and the Americans so no it was it was uh it was a savage frontier so Mm -hmm. I think that reflected a little bit of that in this yeah and why people coming into their land and killing them and trying to make them assimilate it's pretty savage too if you think about it absolutely well and if you're living in a place where no guns are allowed not to get too political but no guns are allowed so i can just go up shoot the sheriff and then i'm sheriff that's how a lot of these little towns were hey yeah left. let's get into your your top five we'll go okay, through them pretty sure. quickly because i know we're, we're running long oh for All sure right. for sure this Sherry? was this was hard for me so did you listen to the katie kerr episode no uh prob yeah probably the vampire so you'll give your number five okay. not your not your best uh-huh. and then i'll give not my number five okay. then four and then we'll go back and forth again this was hard if you would have said sherry name the top five <laughs> movies that made you a western fan boom i know it good the bad the ugly true grit uh oddly enough is the Ford- man from snowy river a western yes it is australian okay. western i've never seen it Ford apache she wore a yellow ribbon henry fonda movies as well as john wayne some of my favorites but no i did not go there <laughs> i went outside the box and thought about it long and hard and decided that my number five all-time favorite movie was made in 1960 and directed by john sturgis and it is got a theme song that no one can deny the magnificent seven. Ooh. Yul Brenner, Steve McQueen, Charles Bronson, James Coburn, Robert Vaughn, all-star cast, cast. all-star cast. cast. The never introduced me to that one. Not the fucking remake. Bad mom. Pull pull up the Magnificent Seven theme song, the original one. I probably will. You can't mistake it. Everyone knows when they hear that theme song. That's Magnificent Seven, just like the good, the bad, and the ugly, the, the spaghetti westerns. You know what's coming. Not the fucking remake, kids. Not the remake. Watch the original. The original. Um, it's basically a movie of, uh, of this, a domestic Mexican village that's at the mercy of a band of outlaws, and they hire American gunslingers to teach them how to fight, save the day. They set a trap, and basically they win. Pew, pew, pew. Fuck pew, yeah. pew. What's your fifth? Okay, so that was Sherry's number five. My number five is a cheat right off the bat <laughs> because I have two written down. You can't do that. I You can't do that. No. Okay, all right, all right. We'll, we'll save uh, honorable mentions. So my number five is Unforgiven. Yes. 1992, uh, Clint directed by Clint Eastwood. Then he win an Academy Award for that, didn't he? I believe he did. He did. You might be right, For Sherry. director. So this is... This is going to make a lot more sense once you know his previous history in this genre. So it's the synopsis. Retired Old West gunslinger William Money reluctantly takes on one last job with the help of his old partner Ned Logan, uh, Morgan Freeman, and a young man, the Schofield Kid. Um, But basically, 
something happens, not spoiling anything, <laughs> and he gets back into the game. He's an old Clint Eastwood at this point. I think he's like probably fucking 80 when this <laughs> came out. But he's <laughs> but he's he's getting back into the game. And he's still a fucking badass. He's an old man. He's getting back into the game. He's still a badass. But and Morgan Freeman too is. Uh, who's the ba- Gene Hackman's the bad guy in this, right? Yeah, Gene Hackman. Such a good bad guy. Gene Hackman, Richard Harris, another. Yeah. All star cat. That one is absolutely worth watching. You would like that one for sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's that's like a must see. I don't know if Pale Rider. Pale Rider is another one that's a just a great Clint Eastwood movie. Later in later in life, not not back in the day when I was young. Mm-hmm. My number four. Yeah. <laughs> number four. Sure. Are you ready? It's Tombstone. Ooh. Nineteen ninety-three. I just I don't know what else to say. Val Kilmer. That's what you need to say. Uh, Kurt, Kurt Russell is Wyatt Earp. Val Kilmer's Doc Holliday. Sam Elliott. Hello. Bill Paxton. R.I.P. Yeah, um, Bill Paxton was yeah, awesome. Yeah, they were so good. Um, Dana Delaney. No, you know, most people is you know like uh, Michael Bain. Most people know him too, but um, Billy Bob Thornton was in it. I totally forgot about him too. All star cast. All star cast. All star cast. A great score as well. It sort of harkened back to the old western scores, which was something we hadn't seen in a while. I think. Mm-hmm. So I really like that one. Um, you brought up Bill Paxton, another like neo kind of horror western. Uh, 1987's Near Dark, the vampire movie. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of like arguably. But yeah, you need to see all these. <laughs> <laughs> what I liked, there's a couple things in this movie that are like iconic. And I'm your Huckleberry. I don't know mm-hmm. if you all are familiar with I'm your Huckleberry, but it's things it's something people always say. So you can look it up. But I'm your Huckleberry is really famous, and I think one of the some of the the things they mentioned in the movie that cracked me up. There's a bitch slap scene, and <laughs> and it's when Kurt Russell goes to this card table to this dealer. And, and, um, he says for a man who don't get, go heels, you run your, you run your mouth kind of reckless and go heels means you don't carry a gun. Mm-hmm. And then Kurt Russell sort of gives him some lip and, and the guy's like going to go towards his gun and he says, go ahead, skin that smoke wagon, <laughs> <laughs> jerk, jerk, jerk that pistol and go to work. And then he proceeds every time he says something to slap the shit out of this guy. <laughs> and then uh, one of the other major scenes that is freaking funny as hell is um, where Val, Val Kilmer and I think it's Ringo. And Ringo gets out his gun. They're they're going in Latin. They're speaking Latin to each other back and forth. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, you know, and they're mm-hmm. one-upping each other. And then all of a sudden, um, Ringo gets his gun out. And he does the, the classic gun twirl and the whole, psh, psh, you know, thing. <laughs> and he puts it in his, he puts it in. Val Kilmer's, Kilmer's drunk and he's standing there with a tin cup and he proceeds to take the tin cup and act like it's a gun. And he's doing the tricks with the tin cup. <laughs> this is perfect, perfect moments for me on, on that that whole movie. But it's it's classic. You don't have Great to go movie. with the, the not a whole yeah. plot. It's a typical plot. Great movie. Uh, this is actually unconfirmed, but it's a bit of trivia for Bone Tomahawk, and I, I felt that it was necessary for me to bring it up because you mentioned Tombstone. It says John Bruder wears the same style pistol, pistol holder as Johnny Ringo in ah. Tombstone. So I don't know if that's confirmed. Have We'd have that. to go back and check. I'll have to check it. Okay, so I have ADD, so this is my number four, right? <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Okay, number four, few, for a few dollars more, yes. 1965. 
uh, directed by Sergio Leone. It's two bounty hunters with the same intentions team up to track down a Western outlaw. So this may or may not be um, a reoccurring name on my list with Sergio Leone. I think this is the <laughs> perfect trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I'll save that for later. Spoiler alert for my list. But um, <laughs> a great, great second movie in a trilogy. Um, it's a must-see. I well, tell Katie what the first one is. Uh, Fistful of Dollars is the first one. So you've probably <laughs> heard a, a riff on Fistful of Something, mm-hmm. and that's where that comes from. Mm-hmm. That's all. A lot of the themes, and uh, Eno Morricone did the theme for The Thing as well. Okay. He did some great themes, by the way. Great fucking themes. But I will talk more about my number four once I get to my one of my other picks. So that might be a spoiler alert. So Sherry, you're number three. It was just hard for me because it was almost number two. <laughs> but it is Ravenous from 1999. Ooh. I've, I've seen that director, one. Director uh, Antonia Bird. That's where they eat each other. Female director. Um, she came Uh-oh. in at the last minute and request by Robert Carlyle because the the first guy was like, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. So she brought a different twist. She did uh, God Mad Love, I think, was something she did. So she, she was more of the English director. Mm-hmm. And so she brought a little different to this. Um had a really unique music score by mm-hmm. Michael, I think, Neymar. I'm not sure what the name is. Is this the one but where it's, it's like snowing and they... It's a Western cannibal comedy horror. Mm-hmm. And I yeah, remember, I've seen this listen, one. Listen, I remember, I, like this one. I remember my mom saying, there's this movie out, Ravenous, let's go see it. Well, what is it, mom? I don't know. <laughs> David Arquette's in that one, too, isn't he? Absolutely. Yeah. I, think it's, I think it's a Western. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, cannibals. If we get the movie, nobody there. What little people are there are, you know, sick and complaining as they leave. They didn't know how to take this movie at all. I'm like super like, yes, that's the best movie I've ever fucking seen. (laughs) I mean, Cannibals, hello. You know, you you had everything in here. It's, it's, (laughs) there's so much more to this movie than just that though. I mean, if you really break it down, first off, the score Sounds like kids mm-hmm. just played a bunch of shitty instruments. There's some kind of recorder thing in the background and oh, clanking. Yeah, that stuff. is a it's so perfect for terror the, inducer. It's just perfect kind of for the scene. Chaotic music. I hate. Oh, that. Yeah. So basically, um, I mean, let's see who's in this. Um, Guy Pierce is in it. David Arquette, Robert Carlyle. Most people know him from like uh, Once Upon a. Um, Once Upon a Time, I guess, and some sci-fi movies. Um, Jeremy Davies, Jeffrey Jones, Neil McDonough, um, which you would know their faces mm-hmm. if you saw them. Yeah. They're just names you don't know. And it's basically American frontier history. It's got dark humor. It's gruesome, violent, got homoeroticism. Um, you name it, it's got it in there, and it just... It's just very, very cool. Um, it's just gratuitous violence. It's delightful. I remember. It's, I just remember it thinking it's, it. it's just a delightful movie and all around. Another must see. Yeah, I wonder if you introduced me to that. One. I, you might have. I just, I just remember always. Everybody has to see this movie because <laughs> most people just think Western cannibals. The humor, the not humor. One of the one of the comments is Carlisle says. Somebody says, uh, what, "What what you cooking?" And he says stew, 
And he goes, you need some help? He goes, oh, no. He goes, I'm sure soon you'll be able to contribute. <laughs> and he's a cannibal, you know? So it's like those subtle things that nobody catches until most people don't catch, but I mm-hmm. caught. Um, they switched between the different tones from one minute. It's, it's laugh out loud funny. And the next it's creepy. And then it gets somber. It's just... Oh yeah, the whole game it sounds like it's, a roller coaster for it's, sure. It's amazing. I wrote like five pages of this stuff <laughs> about this movie. It's so amazing. Okay. All right. So my number three, uh, probably the least seen on my list. Well, I know for a fact it is. It's the Great Silence from 1968, uh, a snowy western, which I actually really love. Directed by Sergio Corbucci and starring uh, Klaus Kinski who was in a lot of, like, cult cinema. He played Nosferatu and stuff in the 70s. Mm-hmm. It's a mute gunfighter defends a young widow and a group of outlaws against a gang of bounty bounty killers in the winter of 1898, and a grim, intense struggle unfolds. So, like I said, this is kind of cool. Like, um, you have the backdrop of a snowy, like, I think it takes place, like, in the mountains and stuff, and... This guy is like, of course, a mute gunslinger, and he's just helping these people out. And of course, it has great themes, uh, or a great like theme as far as like score and stuff like that. Um, just a great movie, like all around. Uh, if you love Tarantino, I, I know we were just like kind of shitting on Tarantino earlier, <laughs> but a lot of these is where Tarantino kind of gets his like uh his music from and stuff like he tarantino borrow is someone from who borrows a lot from the past and the great silence is certainly one of those as well as my top two but yeah that's my number three sherry your number two my number two is the man from snowy river 1982 directed by uh, george t miller um it's based on the banjo patterson poem an australian poem um not too many well-known actors in it. Um, Kirk Douglas played a dual role, role in it. Um, other than that, everyone was pretty much a new actor to American audiences. Um, that movie's really important to you, too. It's important to me. I, I don't know why. It just is. <laughs> but yeah, I remember the, just the, the, the scene where the dad, they're logging, and the, the, the dad gets, you know, something happens. It's just, the, and it's got horses. I grew up riding horses. I love horses, and um, I love the poem. I already knew knew about the poem, so that was helpful. But the music score is amazing. It's just I could listen to it all day, every day, because it truly is one of those scores that the soundtrack actually makes every scene more than what it would be. I think it's, that's a key with westerns. I think that's one of the things western and horror have in common. Is that like? Um, I think the key to a good western is that score. Like the there, so, so many iconic scores. It's just there's there's so many action scenes with the, with the horses and stuff in this, and that's one of the things. It's um, you can take literally from Jim's ride on to where they bring the Brumbies into into the stockyard. It is literally the poem, word for word made into action and it's literal it's amazing to watch and when when all the horses stop and and you know the one guy says well you can you can bid the the mug a day and all of a sudden jim just comes riding and he just barrels over this mountain over this cliff and just keeps riding down and and the horn blares and he cracks his whip which was all in the poem you know the cracking Mm -hmm. of the whip and um 
and then they this proceed he he catches up with him and it's a ride to to bring him back in and it's it was really cool because the music is so fast and frenzied because the drive is that fast and frenzy chasing these horses but i thought it was really cool that they used a lot of local families mm-hmm. you could see horse riders one two three four five all from the same family <laughs> so it was pretty cool but yeah the the music in it was amazing the 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 true to to the poem mm-hmm. was amazing you had that cd in your car for years i, did. I remember i would take your car to get, like, get a car wash <laughs> or something and Sherry had that CD in there her car is, for years. There is one song through that that I cry. Mm-hmm. Why? There's sometimes you you have music that literally touches for you have no clue why, mm-hmm. but it just hits something in your soul. For sure, you know it. You're a musician, yeah. so sure. <laughs> and and that some of the there's a couple of the songs in there. This one particular moment that gets me every single time. For okay, sure. So that's number two. Harvester of Sorrows, that song for me that makes yeah. me cry. Good, Metallica. Good, good music no, in this. <laughs> Um, okay, so my number two, uh, and the reason why I didn't want to talk about my number four so much is because this is the third film and, in my opinion, the best trilogy ever made, uh, ever made in all of film. And this is The Good, Bad, and the Ugly from 1966, uh, directed by Sergio Leone with music by Eno Morricone, starring the great Clint Eastwood, um... Levon Cleef, who is in yes. so many of these as well. Um, like I said, perfect trilogy in my opinion. Uh, one of the best theme songs ever. One of the most beautiful scores ever. Like Sherry said uh, in her previous pick, some scores just bring you to tears. And this one in my number one certainly does. That final like uh, gunfight. And a lot of people probably won't know this about me, but I fucking love Westerns. Like I... I return and watch that final gunfight like routinely and it's just like all the choices made all the cinematography the way the score kicks in it's really really beautiful and I think (laughs) the way that and one thing that needs to be said is these are all Italian films like these spaghetti westerns that's why they call them spaghetti westerns Mm -hmm. and the Italians were doing something that at the time the Americans were not doing and it was a lot of style. Remember what we talked about Dario Argento with mm-hmm. Suspiria? It was style. Like these the dudes. The focus on the eyes and the, oh, the yeah. face to face. Down, down, down. <laughs> like very dramatic that, style. That, that, the good, the bad, and the ugly. The last scene it, it, where the three of them are doing the standoff trying to get to the brick. You know, that he, mm-hmm. that he, it's so long. Oh yeah, it's so long and so, so there's no words really through that whole yeah. thing. Um, it's just the eyes to the eyes and the and then the music. We were watching that scene and it's a perfect shot too. Like when they uh, when it's that wide screen of them three just in the around circle, the circle. And Rose was like, "This is legit, like beautiful." Like Rose mm-hmm. was like, "This it is really a beautiful is. shot because the score again is playing behind it." Oh, you're not talking guys. Clint Eastwood. You're talking the scenery. I see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, Clint was a beautiful man was, uh, back in the day. Like I put he's aged well. Little Talk outlaw another... Josie Wells hanging on the wall yeah, over that's there. That's right, and that almost made my my list too. Um, <laughs> not my type. Okay, but <laughs> he's a little stringy. Clint Eastwood, not your type. Travis is staring daggers at me for saying Wow. <laughs> Clint Eastwood, uh, probably me and Brooks's type, but. Yeah. <laughs> But yes, um, these movies were, like I said, I, I grew up a Tarantino fan, 
And then I went back into what Tarantino loved, and I ended up loving this stuff even more than Tarantino. Like, uh, so I've, you were a Tarantino fan before you were a good, the bad, and the ugly fan. Absolutely. Well, my dad raised us with this kind of stuff, like this kind of stuff. But I never really like it. Was more like the Tombstones and the, uh, you know, the stuff like that. Like the John Wayne. Like my dad was a is a big. My dad has John Wayne, a picture of John Wayne hanging in his house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I mean, he was I, that I era, man. Too. Yeah, for sure. My dad was that era. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what America is to my dad. John fucking Wayne. <laughs> and that's what America is, really, to be honest. The Duke. But yeah, that was that's my number two. Sergio Leone is a fucking genius. That's my number two. He was. I'm telling you so, what, those those are some of my favorite movies. I had to not put them on So the Sherry. Before you get to your number, before you list your number one, start at number five and uh, go down. Yeah, well, repeat them for us. <laughs> and okay. don't worry about time because okay. we're good. This will be a well, long episode. Number five was the Magnificent Seven. Number four, what was number four? Oh, Tombstone. Number three was Ravenous. Number two was um, the Man from Snowy River. And um, number one. Is the Searchers, nineteen fifty six? John Ford, legendary. John director. Wayne. When you talk partnerships between a director and an actor, Leonardo DiCaprio and Scorsese, Scorsese and De Niro, Tarantino and and Samuel L. and mm-hmm. or, or no, uh, McDermott. And mm-hmm. you talk about all those. Well, it started with Ford and Wayne. Oh yeah. Because he was in, I think twenty four movies i think if not if not more of ford's movies um the searchers is one of those movies the cinematography is just magnificent it's taught in film class it's yeah is it i who knew yep. i didn't know that but it's it's magnificent the the music is amazing there's it's drama um i mean john wayne is he, the, the anti-hero type thing he's a bigot he's a racist mm-hmm. you know he was in the war he came home he doesn't like indians you know he, he comes home there's some humor some good mm-hmm. scenes in the cabin with the family it's a lot of humor but then he comes home and he sees you know the family home on fire and what i like about ford in this movie especially is the use of doorways that was the shot that we focused on in film class where doorways. John Wayne leans on the door and you can see the whole background in the Ev- door. And yeah. every, it just every doorway, when he leans in the doorway of the cabin Fucking that's beautiful. on fire, that, that's smoking to see what happened to the family. And he comes out and says, don't ask me to tell you. Um, that actually is a scene that they, the Star Wars stole from the searchers when Luke goes back and his family home's on fire. That's hard. That is actually sort of an, an homage to the searchers. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the typical hero comes home. <laughs> you know, he doesn't fit in. You know, he's a loner, that type thing. Um, and the Indians steal his niece. And it's a, a four year, like, long rescue search that they go searching for the niece. And uh, the niece is Natalie Woods, I think, isn't it? I think so. I believe so, yes. So, I'll tell you what, I, this movie is amazing for all those reasons, but um, some of the humor in it is the typical the typical John Wayne humor. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the movies you can tell just because it's a, it's a, it's a John Ford movie. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but everything about this was great. A little bit of, you know, the loneliness that, that you can tell he has when he brings her home and the use of that, <laughs> that doorway in the end where all the family's coming in, they're hugging each other, and, and you just see him standing there. He's not acknowledged at all. And then, you know, he goes off to basically, um, you know, wander in the winds is one of the things he called it by, by just going out and doing his thing. But I guess the doorway thing was one of his, uh, like, icons to him. Harry Carey Sr. was a silent uh, Western actor. So in the movie, in the doorway, when he's when he brings his right arm up and he holds his left arm in that moment, that's in honor of Harry Carey Sr., which was the silent film actor. And they said that his widow actually cried when she saw that, which mm-hmm. was cool. It was like, let's throw a little bit in there, you know? For a sure. A little homage. Yeah. No, for sure. But that's my number one all-time favorite movie. All right. So my number five was Unforgiven. My number four, for a few dollars more. Number three, The Great Silence. Number two, The Good, Bad, and the Ugly. And number one, another Sergio Leone film, Once Upon a Time in the West from 1968. (laughs) Starring Henry Fonda, Charles Bronson. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a mysterious stranger with a harmonica joins forces with a notorious desperado to protect a beautiful widow from a ruthless assassin working for the railroad. So this movie is probably in my top five favorite movies of all time. Uh, It's got, again, you know Morricone does the score. It's got a beautiful score. And I'm going to spoil some of this. But it's a 1968 movie, so it's like, <laughs> get real. So, throughout the whole movie, you have Charles Bronson, who plays this character that's kind of just hanging around, knocking off Henry Fonda's, like, uh, goons and stuff. And he plays a harmonica the whole time. He's like, dun, 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 like he has his own theme. And when you find out what his beef is with Henry Fonda, uh, it... He sees Henry Fonda walk up to him. They're squaring up for their, you know, duel and stuff. And I replay the scene literally like once every week. <laughs> Rose is like, you're a weirdo. But it's so fucking heartbreaking because uh, Charles Bronson, Sergio Leone uses, uh, it's deliberate on his part to make Charles Bronson not blink while he's looking at Henry Fonda. And he's remembering what Henry Fonda did to him. And what he did to him was he tied a noose around Charles Bronson's brother's neck. And uh, keep in mind, Charles Bronson was like a kid. He's like 10 years old. So Henry Fonda's character ties a noose around Charles Bronson's brother's neck and hangs him from an archway, like a, a one of those like old stone archways out in the middle of the, like, uh, the desert. And has him stand on Charles, a young Charles Bronson's shoulders Jesus. with the idea that Charles Bronson will get tired and fall, therefore killing his brother. So his brother, to avoid that, kicks Charles Bronson out of the way. Oh, I, I left out a big part. So Henry Fonda walks up and puts a harmonica in Charles Bronson's mouth. So 
Charles Bronson's brother kicks him out of the way so he doesn't have to be, be the blamed. One to kill him. Yeah. yeah. That's and it is sadistic. one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever seen in a movie. Like, I remember finishing the movie and then just, like, taking it out and putting it back in. <laughs> Henry, <laughs> like Henry Fonda it. played uh, quite a few Western parts. Uh, she wore a yellow ribbon. Ford Apache is another another one. But he played a really good bad guy. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. He is fucking sadistic in this movie. And the glee that he takes from this... It's almost like, um, again, I know we brought up Tarantino a lot, but it, he is like almost the way that he reacts by putting the harmonica in Charles Bronson's mouth is, I know you're going to come back for me one day and I like, I'll cherish that day. Like, I, I want you to come for me. Like, I'll be waiting. Yeah. Like, absolutely. But that is my number one Western of all time. It was a good one. I love that movie, man. There are so many. Uh, Dances with Wolves. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. The, list, the, list me a few honorable the mentions. The cinematography and oh, list his face, but it's Dances with Wolves. It's Lamar Valley. I mean, we actually got to go see some of those places, Travis, where that was filmed. So I was going to bring that up. So one of the things, one of the memories I want to share with you was when we went out west. Mm-hmm. We took the trip at the famous trip out west, and we got to see the famous Deadwood, the outlaw city. We were the only two that knew what Deadwood was. <laughs> well, yeah, I wanted to. We we got to see the Deadlands, which the Dan the Deadlands oh, the Badlands? are the Badlands. The Badlands, the Badlands. starkly Excuse beautiful. Me. Uh, they're taking my Western card now. Um, the Badlands. Uh, I remember Rose and PJ were like, "Yeah, it's cool, you know, <laughs> whatever." Um, dude. You, you and I, we had the. I was like, "Oh my god!" First off, we couldn't breathe. The altitude sickness was getting to us. <laughs> the Badlands is like so. It's almost like being on another planet. It like is. that's the way it looks. It's so fucking weird looking. Like I don't know, but I, yeah, we were I just nerding the, out the whole trip. It was the trip. closest to like a Western landscape. You know, from the, one oh, of the movies, sure. it was starkly beautiful, and and of course, you know, Lamar Valley was was where the buffalo scenes and dances with wolves. A lot of them took place mm-hmm. there in another park that we went to. It, just the vastness. It's one of those places where you feel small, like you're just like, holy shit, yeah. like. But yeah, going to Deadwood and stuff like that. I wanted to bring that up for sure. And and, and we got to see that we got to go to the cemetery with what Wild Bill and yeah. Um, Calamity Jane, yeah, and all yeah, these characters. Yeah, so cool. So. And that was one of the first tents. Uh, they were telling us the story of Calamity Jane and how like she was a legit frontier badass. Just a dead shot. No yeah. matter what, she could hit it. Like a badass woman, man, in the West. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah, I got Hang em High uh, is on my list of honorable mentions. Ne- right next to the good, the bad, and the ugly. So I had a few written down. I had Django. Quentin Tarantino's Django, I really, really enjoyed. I enjoyed the original Django. The original, yeah, the original Which Django. a lot of people don't know that. Like I said, Tarantino yes. borrows a lot. He borrows a lot. A lot of people don't know that. Um, but, which is probably why Pulp Fiction's kind of slid down my list a little bit. Um, not a, not as much originality in that as, as right. once, once believed on some of his his movies. If, if, you, if you've watched anything past a certain year. Right, you know, and it's back. like even like the Django, he's Django, like was from the original <laughs> Django in 1966. Which, like you said, it could be an homage to what he loved, what for sure. He, what made him who he is. And I do appreciate that he has like like with the Kill Bills, he's 
brought a mm-hmm. spotlight on all the old kung fu films and stuff. There definitely is like an awesome thing about that about him bringing light to those. You know, there are there are there's some movies with different actors too. I mean, you you can tend to go with John Wayne, Clint Eastwood. Henry, I was surprised. Henry did Fonda. John Wayne make your list? Yeah, Searchers. John Wayne. Okay, 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 okay. Um, but I was about to say Sherry. True, Sherry. True Grit. True Grit's one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, McClintock, totally stupid, mm-hmm. totally stupid movie, but him and Maureen O'Hare are just in this movie. It's so much fun and humor, and they bicker and they go at it, and they're constantly arguing, but they love each other to death. And then, and then, um, you know, you got High Noon with Gary Cooper. Okay, if you haven't seen High Noon Rio with Gary Bravo. Cooper, Rio Bravo, um, Chisholm. Another um, one. Red River is a good one. Oh, yeah. One of the ones that I wanted to bring up, but I haven't rewatched it, so I didn't put it on the list or whatever, was, and maybe you remember this, but High Plains Drifter with Clint Eastwood, wasn't he a fucking ghost at the end of that? I can't remember. I think, he, see, and that's like a horror one. adjacent one, but I'm pretty sure he is a, like, spirit outlaw coming back for revenge. We may have to watch that one. <laughs> I can't remember that one. But, yeah, but I even watched Cat Blue with Jane Fonda and Lee Marvin. It's not the greatest, but it was fun. But I think that's about it, right? Yeah. Sherry, yeah. I want to thank you for joining thank you. us for this podcast. It was, it was incredibly fun. Yeah, I wish we could have. If, I mean, the coronavirus really screwed up our um, having you on for a Mother's Day episode. <laughs> <laughs> you and Debbie, but um, yeah. We'll catch up with you, Sweet. you guys either way. Sweet. Um, but Trav, do you have some book recs? Oh, yeah. So every week I have literary recommendations of uh, kind of stuff that goes along with the episode. So the first one here is Dead Man's Road by Joe R. Lansdale. Joe R. Lansdale is like a big East Texas writer. And um, a lot of his stuff does file into the uh, weird Western kind of stuff. But the back of the cover, Deadwood meets Walking Dead in this wild and profane western romp featuring zombies, werewolves, killer bees, and one pissed-off gunslinging preacher. The Wild West has never seen the likes of Reverend Jebediah Mercer, a hard man wielding a burning Bible and a bottle of whiskey in this battle between God and the devil. Frankly, he's not sure he gives a damn who wins. As the not-so-good reverend tangles with a vengeful shaman and his undead army and joins a renegade named Flower to battle a horde of cannibalistic fiends, only this is certain. Mercer's blasphemous journey is laced with relentless action, terrifying evil, and non-stop humor. This supernatural epic of the Old West that never was will leave you be- uh, heartily cheering for the good guys if you can just figure out who the good guys are. So that's the first recommendation. That sounds like a badass <laughs> trip. <laughs> I recommend anything from fucking Joe Lansdale. He's the Happen Leonard guy. Um, and the second one, I won't list too many, but the second one, this actually just came out, but it's by um, it's by Deathheads Press. That that's the publisher, I believe. Yes, Deathheads Press, and it's in their Splatter Western series. But this is called. This is written by Wiley Young, and it's The Magpie Coffin. And it's The Year is 1875, and outlaw Salem Covington has spent the last 20 years collecting stories, possessions, and lives. Nicknamed The Black Magpie for his exploits during the war, Salem has carved a bloody trail across the western territories. Informed that his mentor, Comanche shaman Dead Bear, has been murdered. 
He <laughs> see that I'm already in. They got a lot of stuff going on in oh, yeah. thing. There's all kinds of Salem's <laughs> and this and that. He vows vengeance on the perpetrators, enlisting with the help of the army scout and preserving the body of his mentor in a specially made coffin. Salem sets out in pursuit, but the choices of Salem's past that earned him the monkier black magpie are riding hard behind him, and the only weapon that can kill him might not be that far away as he thinks. The magpie coffin is an unrelenting tale of revenge with precise brutality and extreme violence. So yeah, those are my two <laughs> recommendations for the week. But as always, you can find us at Horrifying MF on Twitter, Horrifying My Friends on Facebook and Instagram, and uh, drop me or producer uh, producer Kate a line on uh, those social media platforms as well. We are on Spotify, iTunes, uh, Stitcher soundcloud yeah, wherever you listen we'll be there wherever you get your fix but as always thank you for listening thank you give us a review bye bye